Well, good morning. As Jeremy said, my name is Paul Funches. I am one of the pastors here, one of two elders, and uh, we're looking forward uh, in the fall, hopefully, to add more elders uh, to our number. But we, as Jeremy was saying, have just been here a few months, and I want to welcome you. If you are visiting with us this morning, we are so glad that you are here. I see a lot of faces that I, I don't readily recognize, and so look forward to meeting you after the service. Uh, Lord willing, be able to talk with you, and uh, we would love to, to be able to share with you what we're doing here in the valley and why we feel the need to be here. Why do we need another church in the valley? We'd love to have that, that conversation with you. We are in the book of Jonah, and so if you would, as is our custom every week, stand with me for the reading of God's Word, the short book of Jonah, a very familiar story. In fact, it's that familiarity with the story that hurts us in the reading of it sometimes. And so we want to read it uh, as is. We want to read it as for the first time even this morning and have God open our eyes to see what he has for us in his word in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read the entire chapter and then we will pray for God to speak to us through His Word. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay down on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account given to us concerning your prophet Jonah and this fantastic story of your relentless mercy, your mercy towards Jonah, your mercy towards these pagan idol-worshiping sailors. You are relentless in your mercy for mankind. I pray that today, by your mercy and grace, you would give us a view of your goodness, of your mercy, of your grace towards mankind, that you would give us a view of your salvation, the salvation that you have purchased through the death of your Son, the sacrifice of your Son on behalf of sinful man. I pray that you would give us a view of that today that would save the sinner, that would compel the saint, that would give us boldness in this mission that you have called us to participate in to bring the good news of your salvation to lost people. I pray that you would do the work of salvation in the hearts of those that are here. There are those here who do not know you. They are frantically trying in their lives to figure out what the answer is. And, and you've given them the answer very clearly. I pray that you would humble them. I pray that you would cause them to see by your grace that you have provided the only, the only sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice for their sin. And that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that today they would receive Christ as Savior and that you would give them eternal life. And I do pray for our hearts, those of us who profess salvation, that you would thaw us to this alarming reality that men around us, men and women all around us all the time, are headed for eternal damnation. They are headed for eternal disaster. I pray that you would give us such a view today of the lostness of mankind that we would, we would go from this place and that we would commit ourselves to picking up this role that you've given us as your, as your proclaimers of the gospel to a lost world. We pray for this work to be done in our hearts and lives today. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Where we pick up in our story of Jonah, with Jonah being found on a ship. Last week we saw that Jonah had been given a privileged commission. He had been called by Yahweh to be his messenger, but the message that was given to Jonah by Yahweh was one of unthinkable mercy. Unthinkable mercy because God wanted Jonah to go to his enemies. God wanted Jonah to go and extend mercy to his enemies. And for Jonah, that was unthinkable. How could God want to save those who oppose him? And so, instead of picking up this privileged commission he was given, instead of obeying this commission that had been laid upon him, Jonah arises, he 
raises up to flee, urgently flee in desperate flight from the presence of the Lord. Again, we said last week, this is not him trying to escape the omnipresence of God, the fact that God is everywhere at all times in every place. This is not him fleeing the omnipresence of God. This is him fleeing the privileged role that God had given him. He wants to go to a place where he cannot and will not obey Yahweh. In a sense, he forces He forces the hand of Yahweh. Here's what Jonah is saying. I do not want to carry out the responsibility you have given me, so either kill me or find someone else. But it is not to be the case. And we see this in the first line of verse 4. But the Lord, Jonah chooses to flee from his responsibility, kill me, Lord, or find someone else. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Our first line is actually the last line of the previous section. Yahweh had called Jonah to be privileged, privileged news bearer, to bring his unfathomable mercy to his enemies, Jonah counts it not as a privilege, but as an affront to justice. He is so scandalized that he flees the calling of God. He lays down his commission. He would rather die than fulfill the task that Yahweh has called him to. But the Lord will not allow him to make this choice. In this one statement, in this one statement, we see the relentless mercy of Yahweh. God is going to oppose Jonah on his disastrous course. The great mercy of God will not allow Jonah to disobey. The great mercy of God is too infinite, it's too great for little Jonah. And Yahweh is not going to allow him to run from the blessing, the privilege to which he has been called. There is indeed an entire sermon in this little phrase. In fact, this entire passage, this entire chapter, there's like 40 sermons that could be preached in this one chapter. You can pray for me not to preach all 40 of those sermons in this one chapter if you, if you would. It's a temptation. In this one little phrase, there is an entire sermon. God has called Jonah to a task that to Jonah seems abhorrent, and yet it is in this divine calling given to Jonah that Jonah is intended to find blessing and purpose. He is to find favor in this calling he is given. Through Jonah, get this, through Jonah, God has intended to bring his glory to the nations. He has called Jonah to participate with him in this task, to bring his glory to all the world. And it is this case with Israel as well. God has chosen Israel to be his his beacon of glory to the world. And it is in this role that Jonah is to find blessing and satisfaction. He is to rejoice at this calling that God has placed upon his life. 
And yet, in this place of blessing, Jonah, Jonah has found it scandalous that God would want to save his enemies. And so he flees, and God will not allow him to forfeit the blessing. Do you get that? God will not allow his people to forfeit the blessing that he has intended for them. He will oppose Jonah on this disastrous course. And the opposition of God to Jonah's path is an act of relentless and even severe mercy. Jonah is ready to throw it all away because he cannot understand what God is doing. And yet, the Lord is so merciful that he won't let Jonah go down this road of disaster unopposed. He won't let Jonah throw it all away. Such it is with the calling and election of God upon his people. He is so committed. God is so committed to the good of his people for his glory in and through them that he will bring what would otherwise be seen as a terrible circumstance into their lives to rescue them from themselves. He will oppose their disastrous choices so that he can work in and through them the glory that he intends for them. Such it is with the election of God upon his people. The gifts and calling of God are indeed without repentance. In Jonah, we have a living example of God's loving discipline of his people. Do you, do you see discipline as loving? I have this conversation with parents so often where parents will talk about extending grace to their children, but what they mean by that is that they don't discipline them. I extend grace to them, which means I'm not going to discipline them. That is a misunderstanding of grace. It's a misunderstanding of mercy. Mercy and grace many times will involve discipline. Because as a parent, as a father of eight children, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but as a father of eight children, I stand in the position of knowing what is best for my children. And as a good father, I want what's good for my children. I want what will bless them. I want what will bring them blessing and what will, what will help them in their lives. And often, I mean, you get this, my children make choices and every father understands this. My, our children make choices that are disastrous for them and are not for their good. And so we lovingly correct. We lovingly discipline because we hate our children. No, because we love them and because we want good things for them. This is what Hebrews 12 tells us. Hebrews 12 tells us that he chastens, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. And he will not allow you as his chosen 
to choose a course that will be disastrous for you. In fact, He will bring into your life that which you do not want. See, this is the love of God. This is the mercy of God, relentless mercy of God. He will choose for you what you would never choose for yourself because He is so committed, He is so determined, He is so good and loving that He will choose for you what you would never choose for yourself so that He can bring you to that good end that He has in store for you. Often, it is a circumstance that we would not want. The suffering and the difficulty that we see as opposition to the course of our life is oftentimes the merciful hand of God to bring us to His blessing. Can I, can I just encourage you this morning to look to that which you see as opposition, to your desired goal, and see the merciful hand of God And it is this merciful discipline of Jonah, his servant, that sets the scene of this entire chapter. It is this merciful discipline of Jonah that sets the scene for our entire chapter. In this section, we see three episodes. Three episodes where we are given a contrast between Jonah and his pagan companions. A contrast between Jonah and the pagan idolaters on this ill-fated voyage. And to draw out this contrast, and this this is important for reading narrative, to draw out this contrast, each episode focuses on dialogue. When you're reading narrative, you want to see the dialogue. You want to pay attention to the dialogue. What's being said and by whom? In each one of these episodes, there is dialogue that draws out or focuses our attention upon the point that is being made. The first episode takes place in verse 4 through 6. And in this episode, we see Jonah's immoral slumber. Jonah's immoral slumber. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah. See that contrast. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He's still headed down. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The relentless mercy of Yahweh has brought upon Jonah and his ignorant companions a most desperate situation. 
A mighty tempest is the result of the great wind that Yahweh has hurled upon the sea. They are caught in a divine, divinely orchestrated hurricane. God shows here in this episode that he, he is the one who controls creation. And creation itself is opposed to Jonah and his course. The sailors fear for their lives. Is there any place more plainly obvious to show man's fragility than the sea? You ever stood out upon a dock and looked at the sea? Stood on the shore and watched the sea and the crashing waves. I, I've done that on many occasions and thought to myself, why would anybody get on a boat and go out into that? That is a bad idea. Not something I would sign up for. And it is, isn't it? The sea shows how fragile man is and how dependent man is upon God. The sailors find themselves in the middle of a divinely orchestrated hurricane and they have no idea. They are afraid for their lives and they do all they can to save themselves by hurling the cargo from the ship into the sea to lighten it for themselves. And, and also they do what? What does the text say they do? They cry out to their gods. Each man cries out to his own God. They know that somehow they are under divine judgment. They don't know from whom. They don't know what God. They know that the gods are their only source of hope. They are ignorant of why or which God that it may be. But they know, intuitively they know, that the source is divine. By the way, do you see the mercy of God in that moment? The mercy of God in that moment. Would they have cried out to God otherwise? Would they have cried out to a God if there hadn't have been a storm? No, it is, it is often in the storm where man's focus is brought upward. It's in the storm where man looks up. And this is the mercy of God. God is working mercifully in men's lives to show them their need for Him. They cry out to their gods for salvation. While they are retrieving the cargo to hurl into the sea, they make a discovery. Down into the belly of the ship, the servant of Yahweh has gone to sleep. While the sailors face death, God's servant sleeps. This prompts an indictment from the captain. Here you see his words. He asks a question. In fact, each one of these episodes has a question that is asked of Jonah. In this episode, it is the question, What do you mean, you sleeper? Why are you sleeping? 
Don't you care that we are about to perish? Don't you care that we are about to die? And then unbeknownst to the captain, he, he himself speaks the words, the very words of Yahweh to Jonah. He speaks the very words of God. Arise. Call out. This is exactly what Yahweh told Jonah to do in the first place. Arise. Go to the great city Nineveh and call out. Same words. And the captain brings indictment upon, unknowingly brings indictment upon Jonah. The very words of Jonah's commission are repeated back to him. Relentless is the mercy of God. Now Jonah is being told to call out to his God. Get up urgently, call out to your God. And then the final words of the captain. Look at what he says. Perhaps. The God will give a thought to us. He doesn't give a name. He just says the God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. He's speaking to Jonah and he says, who knows? Jonah, arise. Call out to your God. Who knows? Maybe the God who you worship can save us. Maybe the God that you were, I don't know who it is, but maybe the God that you worship can be the answer to our need. Who knows? There's one who knows on board that ship. Jonah knows. Jonah knows who sent the storm. Jonah knows who can save them from the storm. Jonah knows that all of their crying out to various gods isn't going to do them any good. Jonah knows that. Jonah knows it all. And you know what? Jonah knows his name. The captain can't even give a name to the God of Jonah, but Jonah knows the name of the God who has sent the storm. But what the captain doesn't realize is that the man standing in front of him, Jonah, would rather go to the bottom of the sea than lift a finger to help the undeserving pagans find mercy. That is why he's in the bottom of the ship. He would rather go to the bottom of the sea than help sinners find mercy. They're undeserving. They're not the people of God. While men die, God's people sleep. This is the indictment on God's people. That brings us to the second episode, which contains Jonah's empty confession. Jonah's empty confession. Confession. The sailors come up with a plan. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Because they know that the storm is a divine judgment from some God, the sailors decide to cast lots. This is the way that you hear from God to cast lots. 
This is the way that you hear from God when there is no prophet. The prophet is standing on the boat with them. And they have to resort to casting lots to, quote unquote, hear from God. Because there is no prophet willing to speak. Do you see, once again, the sailors know that there is a God somewhere responsible for the storm and they want to hear from him. This is a perfect opportunity for Jonah to speak up. But they have to cast lots instead. And the lot falls upon Jonah. I can't imagine what Jonah would have been experiencing in that moment when they're casting lots. You know what what casting lots is, right? You take some stones and you, you have stones of one color and then you have one that's a different color and you put them in a bag and you draw out lots, you draw out the stones and the one that gets the colored stone, that's the one upon whom the lot falls. This is God's way. This is, this is the way of hearing from God without a prophet and ironically, the lot falls on the prophet. And this prompts a series of questions from the sailors. And all of these questions, by the way, are meant to ascertain one thing. Who is the God that is responsible for this storm? This is why Jonah answers the way he does. Look at their questions. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Jonah is forced into the role of the prophet. Once again, by their questions, he will, he will speak the truth. He's forced into this role of prophet, and here is his answer. I am a Hebrew, which would have been the common way of understanding those of the people of Yahweh. I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh. That is, I worship, I reverence Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He's the creator God. I am a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What's the, what's the one question he doesn't answer? What is your occupation? He confesses that he is of the people of the Lord. He is the people of Yahweh, the God of heaven, the one who made everything, the sea and the dry land. And the response of the sailors says it all. They were afraid before at the storm, but now they are greatly afraid because the God that Jonah contends with is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Their fear stands in contrast to Jonah's profession, that he fears Yahweh. His profession is empty. The sailors say as much in their next question, what is this that you have done? Because they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. He had told them that, it says. He had told them that he was fleeing from his God. 
Now this, this question, what is this that you have done, is a question that's actually asked several times throughout the Old Testament. It's always asked by a person who seeks to indict the one he's asking. So, so think of Abraham. Remember Abraham when he goes in and he lies to Abimelech about who his wife is? He says, this is my sister. And he comes and says, what have you done? Your actions, in other words, your actions have, have brought judgment upon my house. He's questioning the actions of Abram. And this is what the sailors are doing. You have chosen to disobey and lay down your role as the servant of the God who made everything. What are you doing? Your reckless inconsistency, your empty profession to fear Yahweh but flee from his presence, your empty confession has carelessly endangered our lives. That's what they're saying. You have brought us into your contention with God and our lives are at stake because of you, because of what you've done. You've endangered the lives of every man on this boat because of your selfishness. And such it is with the result of God's people living in disobedience. Because Jonah has his, the name of Yahweh upon him, because Jonah has been given this role as God's prophet, because Israel had been given the role of the bearer of God's name, they must live in obedience to be that beacon to the world of God's glory and goodness. But when they live inconsistent with who they have been called to be, their profession, their confession to serve and to fear Yahweh, this, instead of becoming a blessing to those that it should be a blessing to, it becomes a stench in the nostrils of those who are dying. And so it is with Jonah. We see here the stench of God's proud people in the nostrils of dying men. Again, without going off on a tangent, I fear that in our country and in our experience today, God's people are not a blessing to dying men. But because we have chosen to live inconsistently with the, the profession that we make, we become a stench in the nostrils of men that are dying. And this brings us to the last episode where we see Yahweh's sovereign mercy. By the way, I'm saying Yahweh. You know Yahweh is the name of God. That's why I'm saying Yahweh. God is his title, Yahweh is his name. And here in this last episode, we see Yahweh's sovereign mercy. The final episode, we see that Yahweh's mercy cannot 
be stopped. He will have mercy upon whom he chooses to have mercy. The sailors now know the name of the God who is sovereign over this storm. They also now know who is guilty of bringing the peril upon them. Now they want one more piece of information as the storm continues to get worse and worse. And here they ask this question in verse 11. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? They knew that something must be done to Jonah to appease Yahweh, to atone for the wrath and judgment that was upon them. They want to appease Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This question contains a question of atonement, of appeasement. What could be done to you, Jonah, in order to appease God? How can we appease the wrath and judgment of Yahweh? Now we also must be careful to note his answer. What is his answer? Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. In answer, Jonah says, you are to sacrifice me to the sea by your own hands. I want you to see in this the selfishness in Jonah. Instead of, consider this, instead of repenting in that moment, Instead of allowing these indictments, these rolling indictments to finally wake him up and cause him to see that he needs to turn around and and obey what God has given him to do. Instead of repenting in that moment, he would still rather die, go to the bottom of the sea. Not only that, though, he would also have the hands of these men be responsible for his death. As I was reading it out loud, I said, just throw yourself overboard, man. Go ahead, jump. But no. He says, you want want to get rid of this peril? You must take me by your own hands and throw me into the sea. Hurl me into the sea like the cargo. What a selfish, self-centered response from Jonah. Men's lives are in danger, both aboard the ship and in Nineveh. Men's lives are in danger, and he is still focused on himself. At this, the action of the men is insightful for us. Look at what it says. They've heard what Jonah has said. Nevertheless, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. I mean, that's what they had been doing, right? They'd hurled the cargo. They had been trying to get back to dry land. And then they asked Jonah, what should we do to you that the wrath of God in this storm can be removed? And 
He says, throw me into the sea. And instead, it says, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They rowed harder to get back to dry land. On the one hand, you see that their actions are a demonstration of compassion for the life of Jonah. Do you see that? Here, these pagan men have been told how they can rescue themselves, and yet they have more compassion upon Jonah's life than Jonah has for lost men. Stands in stark contrast to Jonah's lack of compassion. On the other hand, and and, and don't you find that to be the case sometimes? Here's what God's people should have, and we see it actually better demonstrated in a lost world. You ever seen that? You know, that's, that's actually a better example of what God's people should be than we are. You see that? And it indicts us. But on the other hand, you see the men's unwillingness to accept the required sacrifice for their rescue. They don't want to be guilty of blood. They don't want to be guilty of this man's life. And so they work harder to get back to dry land, but their efforts are useless. They cannot save themselves. There is only one sacrifice that will calm the storm of God's judgment. There is only one sacrifice that can save men from their judgment. While the sacrifice given by Jonah is selfish and self-centered, I want you to see, and I'm not pressing too far here, Mankind is under judgment from God because of sin. Sir, ma'am, child, you are under the judgment of God because of your sin. And you can row as hard as you want to try to save yourself. You can put forth all the effort that you can to try to save yourself from that divine judgment. But it will not work. The sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can rescue you from that judgment has already been given. And it, unlike Jonah's sacrifice that was selfish, the sacrifice that was given for lost men was selfless. The only Son of God, Jesus Himself, who was innocent. He, unlike Jonah, obeyed the commission of His Father He came and He laid down His life 
He lived among them. He lived in their midst. You remember he also was on a boat with a storm and the men running frantically around trying to save themselves. And he was asleep just like Jonah was asleep. And they came to him and said, what is it that you're doing? Don't you care that we perish? And he stands up and with one word, he calms the storm because he is God. And he shows in that one moment that he is the answer for their rescue. Jesus, the Christ, was given as a sacrifice, as an atonement, as an appeasement of the wrath of God for sin. Jesus was given to save mankind from their sin. And He will save lost man from their sin. And He will save you. You and I who are tossed about under judgment, frantically trying to save ourselves, knowing, knowing there is a God, knowing we are under, justly under His wrath. We know that. See, I know you know that because Scripture tells me you know that. And you also know the only answer for your sin is Jesus. Why do you refuse that sacrifice? You cannot get back to dry land. Receive today the only sacrifice for your sin. Jesus, who was given for you. Do you see the relentless mercy of God? Relentless mercy and yes, severe mercy. He was disciplined. He was judged. The Son of God was judged for your sin. The severe mercy of God against, against sinners poured out upon His Son. His mercy demonstrated By the wrath and discipline upon his son. What an amazing picture we have here in Jonah. And then, by the mouth of these sailors, comes what I believe to be the main theme of this entire book. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord. They called out to Yahweh. They started, this, they started the whole scene by crying out to their gods, various gods. But now, but now, they call out to the Lord, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. It is often that God chooses the mouths of the unlikely to bring forth His truth. And here it is again. The sailors speak this truth. You, O Lord, you have done as it pleased you. They speak to the sovereignty of God in salvation. The sovereign mercy of God, which is relentless. They say, Lord, you... You are God and you do as it pleases you. And then Jonah is thrown into the sea. And the sea is calmed. And upon this calming of the sea, the men, it says, feared the Lord exceedingly. Do you see that? 
In each episode, it talks about the fear of the sailors. They were afraid at the storm. They were greatly afraid at realizing the name of the God behind the judgment and wrath coming upon them. They were greatly afraid at realizing that the God who sent the storm is the one who made the sea and the dry land. The God of heaven. That caused them to be greatly afraid. But they were truly brought to fear at the salvation of Yahweh. They were truly brought to fear at seeing his salvation. These pagan sailors were brought to salvation by God's relentless, severe, and sovereign mercy. God will have mercy upon whom he chooses. And at one point, this day for the sailors seemed like the worst day of their life. But in fact, it was the best day of their life. Because through the storm, and even through Jonah's disobedience, God's mercy would not relent. And his mercy was brought to them. And they were saved. It says, that they made sacrifices and made vows. That's the idea that they gave their commitment of obedience because of his salvation. They were brought to a place of fear and reverence for the true God, sacrificing to that God, knowing his name now, they can be saved by him and go on in their life to serve him with their life. They were recipients of God's sovereign mercy. And there you see the reality that salvation belongs to the Lord. He will save whom he pleases. And this sovereign mercy is relentless. Now, in closing, I I just have a couple of thoughts. First of all, let me talk again to you. If you are here and you know that you are under the just judgment of God for your sin. I hope that you see today there is mercy and you you cannot do anything to save yourself. It is only God's mercy and grace extended to you through His Son and the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Jesus died for sin. He was the sacrifice, the innocent sacrifice made for sinners. And He rose again to be victorious over sin. And He, He can save you today. If you will come to him by faith and receive his sacrifice as your only way of salvation. And then those who are here who confess to be children of God. You confess to be children of God. To serve the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You and I live in the midst of lost sailors upon the sea of life who are heading for disaster. Do you sleep? Do you slumber? A lot of us are very proud of our moral lives as God's people. We are very proud that we are not like those other people 
out there. All those crazy people out in the world who do crazy things. We're so proud that we are not like all of those people. But our pride is a stench in the nostrils of those who are dying. We sleep while men die, while men face death. Not realizing that it is us who God has given to extend His mercy to the nations. What a privileged participation we've been called into. What a privileged opportunity. And you know what's wonderful? He's saving people. He's saving people. All around us, He's saving people. He doesn't need us to save people. He can use whatever He can use to say, He will do whatever He pleases. But He has called you to participate with Him in this. It is why you exist as God's people. And yet we cloister off and huddle up, pat ourselves on our back for our good theology while men die. By the way, you can have both. You can have good theology and an evangelistic zeal. Did you know that? They, they don't, they're not mutually exclusive. I see these churches like, we just want to get Jesus out there. We just want to get Jesus out there. And they don't have any theology. No, no, we can have both. We can have really good theology and we can preach the gospel fervently. We can do both. We can have really good theology and still live in the midst of sinful people. How can we be proclaimers of the gospel to a lost world? Well, first of all, I would encourage you to clarify the gospel for yourself. What is the gospel? Speak it to each other. In your discipling groups, in your homes, speak the gospel to one another. Rehearse the gospel together. How often do you rehearse the gospel in those small groups that you sit in? It's not time. When you sit in your small group, it's not time to talk about your hobbies. Oh, I'm sure those hobbies are great. It's not time to sit around and, and talk about the weather. I'm, I, I know you can do that as well. It's not just time to get around and eat some good food together. And I'm sure glad that you eat good food together and have some friendship together. But do you ever rehearse the gospel? Do you ever sit and just talk about the glories of God's grace and mercy that he's extended through his son? Just rehearse the gospel together and help each other clarify the gospel. I'm sure that many people don't actually speak the gospel to others because they're afraid that they won't get it right. Maybe I'll mess it up. Maybe I don't know what to say. Well, rehearse. Practice. Talk about it. Rehearse it in its truths often with people that actually love you and with people that will help you. I encourage you to pray for people. Pray for people in your life. Specifically. As I was studying this last week, somebody specifically in my office, in my office complex, came to mind. And you know what my first response was? Just speaking to you transparently. You know what my first response was? I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. But I said, you know what? I'm just going to pray for them. I want to pray for them. I know they wouldn't want to hear what I have to say, but I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to pray that God would give me an opportunity to speak the gospel to this person. Do you pray that way? Pray specifically. Pray daily that God would give you an opportunity. 
pray that God would give you an unexpected opportunity. You pray that way daily as you go about your daily chores and business and work. Another part of this is you have to be around lost people. Somebody was over at the house the other night and said, I hear, you know, I was around uh, a lost person the other day and I heard your voice in the back of my head. I'm like, that's good. I want you to hear that. Be around lost people. We didn't move to the valley just to have Faith Bible Church again out here in the valley. To have a, a church closer to your house. We came out here because there's lost people out here and you live around them. Be around lost people. When you have an option, choose to be around lost people. What a tragedy when God's people go securely down into the bottom of the boat while men on board are dying. Much more I could say, but I'll end with this. Believe, believe, believe that God wants to save people. Believe that God wants to save people. Remind yourself of the mercy of God, that God actually wants to save people, and that He can. You see, He will have mercy on whom He will have mercy. It is His work, not ours. God can save whoever He wants to save. Did you know that? He can. And he will. His mercy is relentless. Sovereign. Well, I don't have the words to say. That's, that's good recognition. You're right, you don't. He's provided all the words you need. They're not your words. They're his words. It's not your efforts. It's his efforts. He's called you to participate with him. Do you trust in God's word? Theologically, we do. We trust in God's word, right? But do you trust in God's word? Truly? He can save. And he will. And we get to be a part of it. We get to participate with him in that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart. Your heart that we have been recipients of. The mercy that you have extended to us. We are so thankful for your relentless mercy, your sovereign mercy to us. We would be lost in our own efforts apart from you. And your sovereign mercy. I pray that you would take your word and work in our hearts. Help us to see your goodness in the opposition that you send into our lives. The fact that you have caused great discomfort in our lives at times. Because you are so good that you will not allow us to go down this disastrous path that we've chosen. And you are saving, will save. I pray that you would seal that in our hearts, that we would believe that. That we would step forward boldly in boldness, trusting in your word to do its work.
to point men to the only atoning sacrifice that will be acceptable for their sin. Pray all this for your glory and your name. Amen.